Paul's second letter to the church at Thessala, uh, Thessalonians or Thessalonica. We come to chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 13. I think it's fitting that Paul writes here in verse 13 the way that he does, because let me tell you what he does. Again, he gives thanks to the church and for the believers in the church at Thessalonica. Let me tell you something. It's something that I think would do us all good today if we gave thanks to God for all of those that are involved in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the kingdom as we see God at work in lives and through people. And so it's interesting in Paul's letter, you know, you would think that when Paul wrote his letters to the church at Thessalonica, you know, once he said it one time, that, you know, that would be sufficient. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you go and you look at both of Paul's letters, okay, he voiced his thanksgiving for the church in Thessalonica throughout both letters. Matter of fact, in his first letter, in chapter 1 and verse 2, in chapter 2 and verse 13, in chapter 3 and verse 9, let me tell you what he does. He just, over and over and over again, he get, I give thanks for you. I give thanks for you. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to, to know that as we partner together that it's not just words, it's not just something that we say from off of our lips, but it is evidenced and seen by the way that we cooperate together. In his second letter, chapter 1 and verse 3, again in chapter 2 and verse 13, I want you to notice what Paul says. He said in verse 13 now of his second letter, he said, but we should always give thanks to God for you. It should be a part of what we do always. We ought to give God thanks for as we see him work. He gave thanks for the way they responded to God's word and his work in their lives. And matter of fact, I think sometimes we do a poor job of celebrating that. I think we do a poor job of rejoicing in what God does in and through the lives of individuals today when it comes to the gospel. You know, one of the things that we act like is, okay, there's another one, so there's another one in the kingdom. There's another one we'll chalk up. There's another one for the membership. Hey, there's fresh blood. There's fresh meat. Do we realize that as a family, as the family grows, one of the things that we ought to do is we ought to give thanks for each other. We ought to give thanks for the works. I think of those that are faithfully preaching the gospel around the entire globe this morning. Let me tell you, one of the things that we ought to do as a church is to give thanks to God for them because of what they're doing. And Paul did over and over and over again all of his letters to all of his churches. He ceased not to give thanks for them. Are you ready for this? He ceased not to pray for them. Matter of fact, we see occurrences in his letters where Paul even wept over those churches because of what God was doing. When is the last time we've shed tears over what God is doing in the works of other places besides just here? When's the last time we've shed tears over those whose lives have been transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? When is the last time that we've truly celebrated any of that in the house of the Lord? But I want you to notice the remainder of verse 13. He said, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. 
That's interesting words of Paul here in verse 13. In this context, one of the things that I want you to notice about verse 13, God chose these Thessalonians as the first fruits to be saved in this region. Matter of fact, when you look at the word from the beginning in verse 13, it actually comes from the Greek word aparche, and what that means is first or the first fruits. So here's what Paul is rejoicing over, is the believers in the church at Thessalonica that God has brought salvation to them as believers in Thessalonica. And matter of fact, and here's what he said. He said, you're the first fruits, you're the first of those in this region that is going to experience salvation through Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. That's something to rejoice over. Whenever the gospel message goes to a region... How many of y'all, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all realize today, this morning, that there are people groups in this world who have never heard about Jesus Christ? There are. And you would think that in the world and with technology that we have today, that would not be the case. But my dear friend, listen to me. There are. There are regions in the world today that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every advancement that we make to deliver that message, do y'all realize today that there are people who have absolutely lost their lives taking the gospel message into other regions? Matter of fact, we could begin to name several of them. But as we watch the advancement of the gospel make its way into these regions and we see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the things that we ought to do is rejoice over it. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Brother Philip just sang about it this morning. This grace, it's so amazing. Why? Because his grace comes as a result of not of who we are, not of what we've done, or not about what our name is. It is simply because of his grace. His grace. And for us, what amazing that it is. You see, as we consider that the Thessalonian believers were the first to experience salvation in their region, this isn't the first place we have this same word. Matter of fact, if you take your Bibles and turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writing in the letter to the church at Corinth, we often refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as a resurrection chapter. Well, I just want to show something to you. Second Thess- go, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians, okay? Chapter 15. Get there, okay? Everybody there? I still hear pages turning. It's okay. I love to hear pages turning. But I do know that there are those today, you don't hear pages turn, but you hear, what do they call that? Scrolling. That's it. Okay. As they scroll. But here's what I want you to see. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, also referred to as the resurrection chapter, one of the words that we looked at in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 was the word beginning. It comes from the Greek word aparche. When you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want you to notice verse 20 with me. 
But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits. That's the same Greek word for first fruits that you have in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. It's the first. It's the first fruits. Jesus Christ is the first fruit of our resurrection. Jesus Christ rose from the grave so that you and I one day will also walk that same direction. Why? Because Jesus Christ has already been the way for us. He was the first. He is the first fruits. So, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Now let's go back to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. So what's so... So what's such a big deal about that? Well, think about it from this perspective. The believers were called to be the first fruits of salvation through sanctification by the Spirit in the truth of the gospel. Let me say that again. The believers in Thessalonica were called to be the first fruits of salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth of the gospel. Man, what, okay, what a powerful statement. What a powerful thought when we consider who God is. When we consider the very sovereignty of God. As we see the working hand of God in the, in the lives of all over this world. Isn't it amazing to me that, this, that, that people 10,000 miles away from us, if you can go 10,000 miles without coming back to here, okay, I'm sure you can. 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 miles, it doesn't make any difference. Are you ready for this? That somebody in what we consider a forsaken place can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to know him just like you and I did. Isn't that amazing to you? Huh? Let me tell you something. Here's something I've never gotten over. I have never gotten over watching somebody's lives transformed by the gospel. Huh? And you ready for this? It's not because of who they are. It's not because of where they are. It's not because of any of those things. Every bit of it has to do with the very grace and mercy of a holy God. Because you and I can't do it on our own. There is absolutely no way that any of us in this building this morning could ever do enough to merit salvation. Never. Now look at verse 14. It was for this that he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus phrase it was for this he called you is an interesting phrase one of the things that I want to make sure that you understand this morning and make sure that you understand it very clearly okay and I will say this I am not here this morning to try to explain to you in absolute detail there's not enough hours in the day nor am I ever to the point that I could ever fully explain it but you can take the sovereignty of God and a human's response to it go together so what Paul is saying in verse 14 
is this. It is God who draws individuals to salvation and sanctification through his own purpose and grace. Now don't choke. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll look at verse 8 and verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 9. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works. I want you to notice the next part. You ought to underline it, okay? But according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity now I want you to turn with me to John chapter number 6 John as he writes or as uh, we have recorded for us by John here in the gospel of John I want you to notice as he writes in verse 41 through verse 44. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written, verse 45, in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has learned or heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians. Through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. When we realize our sinful condition before a holy and a righteous and a just God. As we're confronted with that. Then we have a decision to have to make. The truth of course is the gospel and that's what I want you to understand this morning the truth of course is the gospel the call of God to the Thessalonians and their acceptance should be evidenced by their living as people of God in the present as well as the sharing in the glories of the kingdom of God in the future so let me tell you what should happen as evidence of that conviction that comes 
in our understanding and realization of us as sinners condemned already as Paul wrote in the, in the, in the letter to the church at Ephesus he said dead in trespasses and sin so when the Holy Spirit brings conviction to us of our condi- uh, condition before a holy God and as we understand and realize our standing before a holy God and we accept it ought to be evidenced in our lives of what happens, of what takes place in our lives. It ought to be evidence. Let me tell you what it's called. It's called fruit. So when we become a believer in Jesus Christ and we're born again, then let me share something with you this morning. It ought to be evidence in your life. There ought to be that evidence there that, that something happened in our life. There was a transformation that took place called the fruit of the spirit we talked about it a little bit this morning in sunday school let me say this about the fruit of the spirit one of the things that god never did god never called you to produce fruit our responsibility is to bear fruit and my dear friend the only way that you can bear that fruit that we find contained in the word of god is through the power of the holy spirit of god and so therefore Without the Holy Spirit of God in your heart and life, you will never bear fruit that is pleasing to God or is evidence of the change that took place in your life. My dear friend, what the world needs to see today is evidence of the change that takes place in our life as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. He said, but I thank God for you over and over and over again. Thanking God for what? For the working of God in the hearts and lives of the Thessalonian believers. That's what Paul's thanking him for. What about us? That's what we ought to do. That's what we ought to be doing in our own lives. But Paul also says something else. In the end of verse 14, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, sharing the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what does that phrase mean at the end of verse 14? It looks toward the day in the future when Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like what? His glorious body. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to it. Let me ask you a question. If you're a believer here this morning, are you looking forward to it? I am. Let me tell you why. All the aches and pains will be gone. I know that's where most of us go. No, that is not why. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see the one who loved me so. That's what I'm waiting on. That's what I'm waiting on. To be able to what? To be able to see him. I'll be transformed. This old physical fleshly body is going to be transformed into an absolute glorious body fashioned by the very sovereign hand of God himself. I mean, 
Can, can you comprehend that? I don't think we can. Huh? I don't think that we can. Paul comes to verse 15. I'll tell you what, before we go to verse 15, let's go to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. Let me ask you a question this morning. Where's your citizenship? I know everybody's going to say the U.S. What's what Paul writing to the church at Philippi says? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. For our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who will do what? Here it comes. You ready for this? How many of y'all are ready for a transformation? Well, look at what he says. Verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself? Changed moment in the twinkling of an eye when Jesus Christ returns hmm. let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15 so then brethren stand firm and hold to the traditions which you have or which you were whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Ooh, wait a minute. There's the word traditions. I didn't think we were supposed to put stock in traditions. What is it in the world? What is Paul saying in verse 15 with the word traditions here? The word tradition simply means this, that which is handed down from one person to another. Be careful with that. Now let's apply it. The truth of the gospel began as an oral message proclaimed by Christ and the apostles and then written down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to think about. When they were, Paul was on his missionary journeys. They were traveling throughout the regions. One of the questions that was often asked, have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit we have not so much as heard and so as it as it went about and also when you look at the next part of verse 15 it talks about the letters do you realize have you ever considered this there was the letter to the church in Rome there was the letter to the church in Corinth two of them there was the letter to the church at Ephesus there was the letter to the church at Galatia there was a letter to the church at Philippi. There was a church, a letter to the church at Colossae. There was a letter delivered to the church at Thessalonica, two of them. There was a letter that was given and written to Timothy, two of them. There was a letter that was written to Titus. 
And so as we consider all that, we consider the magnitude of what Paul says, so then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Hmm. I want you to notice in verse 15, the first part of verse 15, as Paul encourages them to do what? Stand firm. Stand firm. My dear friend, if I could encourage you with something this morning as a church, let me encourage you with this. You can stand firm on this right here. Doesn't change. Genesis to the book of the Revelation, you can stand firm on it. Matter of fact, as... As we grow in our lives as believers, as we come to verse 16 and verse 17, we find another benediction from Paul. As we come to verse 16, I want you to notice what Paul says. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. I'm going to tell you something. You hear what you see. You see into the very heart of Paul. Let me ask you a question. Was there anything any more important to, to Paul than the gospel? No. He gave his, listen, his entire life after the road to Damascus, when he met Jesus Christ face to face, from there, his entire life was spent in the gospel. Why? Because it meant to him everything what did he say about the gospel what did he say about Jesus Christ he said all of the things in this world that I had ever attained for myself he said I count but loss for what for the gospel of Jesus Christ you see over and over again Paul makes, makes reference to himself as being a prisoner of Jesus Christ as a slave do you realize that in many of his letters, he utilizes the word bond slave many times in there to point to the relationship between him and his relationship with Jesus Christ? That's where he saw it. That's who he saw himself as. Paul directed his prayer to a God of love who had given salvation by grace to those who had not earned it. Let me say this in closing this morning. Our stability is impossible. Our stability is impossible apart from the steadfastness of the love of God. Don't ever think for a moment that you've got it within yourself to do what only God can do.